Let us hear then the word of our God. Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Well, last time, uh, Paul brought us, in many ways, to the uh, final main thought in his letter. And verse 8, we see, in many ways, yes, a conclusion to verses 1 to 7, but it also is transitioning us to his final thought, which is basically a repetition of things that he's already said. Um, And... So in verses 3 to 7, the gospel is a faithful saying. Um, And so we must speak that gospel message to others constantly and without fear. Uh, The purpose, of course, then, is for us to engage continually in good works. The gospel isn't just something for us to to be saved and we sit around and do what we please, but we are to live lives in honor of our God. And so let's do good works, pleasing to him. Now, this has been the theme of Paul throughout the letter. It's not unique here in this passage, but we see it uh, throughout. And so because of that, in many ways, verse 8 does appear to be uh, the theme verse of the letter. Uh, Certainly uh, one of the main points. Um, And so as I did last time, we went back and briefly reviewed the first few chapters. uh, Doing good things in the church, chapter 1, including opposing false teaching, and doing good things in our homes, chapter 2, including the workplace, and then doing good things in society, whether they be believers or unbelievers, all of them are good and are a result of God's grace to us. And as he says, they are good and useful, or you could say they beautify the truth and benefit everyone. And so <clears throat> whether we're talking about being salt and light in culture, or being a blessing to the next generation in our homes, or uh, the body of believers where the truth is preserved. Um, 
Paul is calling us here to live in this way. Well, like Paul did in chapter 1, he now concludes the letter with a call to stand against the false teachers and their teaching. And so let's first here then refresh our memory on some of the things that we have seen already. So if you come back to chapter 1, and uh, let's start at the end of verse 9, because uh, these are the final words that Paul gives to the elder in his responsibility. And so verse 9, he says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Well, now he talks about those who contradict. Verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And then chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, so back to Titus and the contrast and so forth. So as we see here in chapter 3, it's the opposite order. Right? Do good works, verse 8, but avoid here now, verses 9 and following. And so whether we're talking about the idle talkers and the deceivers in chapter 1, verse 10, uh, the Jewish myths and the commandments of men, as we see in verse 14, or now as he says these things, right? Paul is saying, Hey, we need to be aware of them. We need to address them appropriately. All right, now you might remember that when we looked at chapter 1, I had us go back to 1 Timothy. So let's do that here again, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, Paul not only addresses these matters for Titus, but he does the same with Timothy. And so in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. That's the same basic idea here. Um, And then if you turn to chapter 6 here in 1 Timothy, so he starts the letter with this idea, and he ends the letter with similar ideas. So in 1 Timothy 6, uh, first of all, note verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words which come from envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. So, again, virtually the same things. Uses some different words, says a few more things or a few less things, depending on which passage we're looking at, but overall he's addressing the same matter. And then if you look at the end of the chapter, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, the uh, same ideas. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing 
yet some have strayed concerning the faith. So, we come here then to Titus 3, verse 9, and you're like, well, of course, (laughs) no surprise that Paul is ending the letter similarly to how he began it. Same issue, and obviously it was a problem in Ephesus and now here in Crete. It was obviously important for these apostolic delegates, as we call them, for Timothy and Titus to address these matters. Uh, Probably were uh, problems elsewhere, but certainly we see it addressed very specifically here in these pastoral letters, as we call them. And so, like Timothy, now here with Titus, uh, Paul says these things. All right, so that's kind of our our, uh, bigger picture. Now here, let's look more specifically at this broader section. I've, I've done some of that preceding this. Now let's look at it what uh, follows. So uh, here in verse 9, we have the first now of six commands that Paul gives to Titus. Verse 9, avoid foolish disputes and so on. Verse 10, reject. And then down to verse 12, hey, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me. And then in verse 13, send Zenos. Verse 14, let our people also learn, and so on. And then in verse 15, greet those who love us in the faith. So six commands he gives us here at the end of the letter. He gives Titus, and by extension, us. Uh, Each one of these commands are in the singular. So uh, he's clearly addressing Titus uh, in these ways. And so to avoid, reject, be diligent, send, let and then greet. Now, the first four of these all have the command later on in the sentence. And uh, many times in our English, we put it in the front. That's kind of what we're used to and so on. But, but actually, in verse 9, it says, But foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and law, <laughs> um, avoid. <laughs> okay. Hey, Nathaniel, would you check and make sure that's still recording, or Philip, if one of you could look at that, I'd appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let me say that again, <laughs> okay? Avoid, or excuse me, foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. Avoid. Same thing in verse 10, a divisive manner of the first and second admonition. Reject, and we can do that also in verse 12 and in verse 13. And it seems like Paul is doing it this way just to drive home the point. Uh, again, we're, we're used to having the, the command at the beginning, but he kind of builds some suspense, as it were, and then he gives it. And so this is to, to emphasize the point, it appears. All right, now, <clears throat> let's look specifically at verse 9. And the command here is avoid. Uh, your translation may use a, a similarly... Uh, uh, meant term here to shun to turn away from Uh, maybe you could say don't engage in now Paul is not saying to Titus and to Timothy um, ignore them that's not what he's saying we have to deal with false teachers we have to deal with false teaching just don't participate in their useless wranglings and debates You have to deal with them. Paul makes that more clear in chapter 1, right? Pick elders who can do this. And so we must do this. We must deal with it. But just just don't get all wrapped up in it. And so avoid it in that sense. Don't sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not a problem. Let's turn now to 2 Timothy and uh, chapter 2. 
For Paul says similar things here. Uh, Let me read this uh, section here beginning in verse 14. And so 2 Timothy 2 verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of the sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So here now, 2 Timothy, we have the same basic ideas. And so here, from everything we know, 2 Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote. And so even here, as he's about to die in prison in Rome, uh, these things are on his mind. And so avoid it. Again, not avoiding all arguments, but avoid useless arguments. Now, it's possible that Paul is saying these things to Timothy and to Titus because for uh, younger pastors or something, this is more of a temptation. Maybe so. Uh, But regardless, we must be discerning. It applies to all believers, not just to the leaders, that we must be careful not to engage in useless arguments and so forth. The question is, of course, which is an appropriate argument and which one isn't. And so it takes discernment. And part of the struggle here is to understand specifically what Paul is addressing. We just read here how uh, their denial of the resurrection is part of this useless debate. Uh, And so we could talk about those things. I'll mention some other things here in in just a moment. Um, And so... Um, it, it, it adds to the challenge. But obviously, Paul does debate wrong things. He debates the wrong understanding of the law, especially in Galatians, and even as we see somewhat already in Romans. Uh, he upholds the genealogy of Christ uh, and so on. There's a place for disputing over truth. But let's not get involved in things that really make no sense. All right, so... <clears throat> What should be avoided? Well, Paul here in Titus emphasizes four things. And some of these words are used in these other passages. Uh, And so here in verse 9, we are to avoid foolish disputes first. Secondly, genealogies. Thirdly, contentions. And lastly, strivings about the law. All right, now, foolish debates. 
Or your translation may say disputes or controversies or discussions or something like that. Uh, They are foolish, Paul says. Uh, The Greek word here is moros, and we get the word moron from it. (laughs) These are moronic uh, arguments, okay, kind of like a sophomore is a wise fool, you know. Um, So that word comes in English in a few ways. Uh, But don't be a moron. Don't be arguing over things that really make no difference, that don't have to do with the truth ultimately, um, because it never ends in a profitable result. Um, It appears, again, there is debate here, and uh, maybe in some ways there's no ultimate right answer because this can apply to all kinds of things. But it does appear that Paul is addressing specifically the speculations that the Jews would do, that Jewish myths, the Jewish legends, and so forth. Now, there probably was a Gentile component here, some of their false gods and so on. Um, But again, genealogies, um, Gentiles would do this, but Jews especially would do this. Okay, strivings about the law, yeah, there were Gentiles discu- uh, uh, debating and such about the law and such, but Jews especially. So, again, lots of debate, but this is probably the focus. Now, you may recall when I talked about it in chapter 1 and even in 1 Timothy, that uh, some of the, the things that happened between the time of Malachi and Christ, when God wasn't speaking to them, okay, they the Jews started writing a number of things. They would take um, the Old Testament sometimes, and then they would expand on it. Uh, They would take other things and, um, uh, in the end, change what the Scripture says. We see some of that in the Talmud, where they take a command of God, and and you end up, in the end, not having to obey the command. Jesus addresses some of these things. There are the apocryphal writings that uh, stories were uh, developed to um, expand upon the lives of people in the Old Testament. And so whether it was a specific verse or specific word even or a whole uh, life of someone, they would take these Old Testament stories and expand upon them and uh, not focus on what the text says and not focus on the plain meaning of the text. So, most typically, this would center around the people who lived prior to Abraham. We do have things about Abraham, about the patriarchs, about Moses, but most of them dealt with times prior to that. And in many ways, you can understand why. Let's turn back to Genesis 5, and uh, this passage especially would be, uh, can I say, midrashed, (laughs) so to speak, Um, would be speculated upon. And um, here in Genesis 5, of course, we have a listing of of these different men and how long they lived and how they all died and so forth. And, and of course, it raises all kinds of questions, right? What were they like and, you know, so on and so forth. And, And you can understand why people would be drawn to the desire to learn more about these men. And, uh, uh, if you look especially at verse 21, Enoch 
was the one that they looked at maybe more than the rest, and in some ways more than all of them combined. Um, verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah, and after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, of course, our curiosity is peaked now, right? Well, <laughs> how did that work? Yeah, he lived so much shorter than, than the rest, and, and what does it mean God took him? Did he not die? It seems to be what it means, but where did he go? And, you know, so on and so forth. Now, it is very likely that certain facts about these men passed down through tradition, oral tradition. It is very likely that, that Noah and his sons passed some of these things along. But what has happened, and again, especially between Malachi and Christ, is that reasonable guesses were added to the text, and those became legend, and eventually they became fact in people's minds. But Paul is commanding Titus and the rest of us, by extension, not to run after these guessing games, mixing truth with speculation even with bias or lies. Instead, focus on the truth of the scriptural story. That's his main point. Whatever the particulars are, his main point is don't get wrapped up in all these disputes and speculations. So you may recall when we were in chapter 1, it was near to Christmas time. And uh, I did this in uh, our uh, study of Luke 2 there on Christmas Eve, or the Sunday after, I forget which it was, but anyway, I spent a fair amount of time during the sermon filtering through our traditions to get to what the text actually says, because Paul commands us to do that, basically. And so, did Mary ride on a donkey to Bethlehem? Maybe. The text doesn't tell us specifically. Was the innkeeper really mean and so forth? Well, maybe. But the text didn't say that. It just says there was no room. Hey, was Jesus born with the animals in a stable? Uh, maybe. The text doesn't tell us. And so it, we can easily fall prey to the same kinds of things. And we can debate and dispute over these things and so forth. But in the end, it's foolish. What's the text say? And focus on what it does say. There's a place for speculation. There's a, spe a place for educated guessing. But let's be careful that that then does not combine with the truth and become something else. Okay, so we had uh, Bible school uh, a few weeks ago, and we talked about the story of Jonah. And right, all kinds of speculation is surrounded what happened with Jonah and so forth. You know, what was he doing inside of the belly of the great fish you know did he look all bleached and prune like when he came out you know is this why the people in Nineveh listened yeah we don't know the text does not tell us it's possible but let's be careful we don't make those possibilities part of the truth story okay uh, Matthew was reciting the uh, Sunday school lesson with Mordecai and Haman today at our uh, lunch meal and uh, others in the family were interspersing the truth with veggie tales. <laughs> Eventually, I'm like, okay, guys, let's focus on what the text actually says. Okay. And uh, another example is when we 
uh, took our trip to Maine, uh, we were listening to some of the Adventures in Odyssey by Dobson and so forth, right? And especially when they do the time travel stories. It's it's very interesting, but it's historical fiction. One of the ones we listened to was the story of Abraham Lincoln and his assassination. And, of course, they have others where they go back to Bible times and so forth. Paul is saying, avoid foolish speculations. Let's focus on what happened. We can, yes, set it into a story. I think historical fiction is fine as long as we're very careful with it and, um, and end up in foolishness. And so um, be open to uh, trying to understand more of what the text says, but don't go beyond it. Now, this is some, these are some things that we can talk about in the church, but we are living in a society where this is happening all the time. You cannot find hardly anyone in the media to give you a factual account of what has happened. It's almost, if not always, almost always, fact combined with speculation. And it's moronic in the end. Okay. And so, right in the last few weeks, well, more than that, there's been all this pursuing of the Biden family corruption. But what happens is the, uh, the article will talk about the facts, but then they will speculate as to the motives behind people who want to hold the Bidens to account. Oh, it's because they hate democracy. Or they want to establish a tyranny. You see how they're adding to the truth. Or, right, we've heard all about this Bud Light controversy here and the transgender stuff and so forth. And what are we told? Well, we were told, oh, those who don't want to drink Bud Light, they just hate the LGBT community and want to exterminate them. Or we will hear about the, those who oppose gun control do so because they just want to continue mass shootings, kill blacks on subways, and overthrow duly elected officials. I am not exaggerating at all. Read any article, pretty much, and they will give you facts, and then they will mix it with an interpretation, speculation, added facts, added things that may not have happened at all. We saw that especially with the issues regarding COVID or now with Ukraine. The point is mixing truth with error and then debating that mixture is foolishness. But isn't that exactly what we have happening? We are debating the mixture of truth in our culture rather than focusing on the truth itself. In large measure, because of Paul's words here, this is why when I often speak of these things happening in our culture, I speak of it dismissively because it's just foolishness. It's moronic what's happening. And so whether it's a news program, a talk show, a conference, or classes at universities, when they are debating the mixed narrative and not trying to find out the truth of what has actually happened, then it's just foolishness. And don't debate in that. Don't participate in those things. Focus on the truth, not the partial truth story that is being advocated. The challenge here, of course, I think is pretty straightforward. 
what is the truth? How can you know if you're debating the truth or a false mixture of truth and error unless you know what the truth is? Okay? And this is what made it so hard with, say, the whole COVID issue. We are constantly being told in the media that this, that, and the other is how we should think. And then there are other people who are saying, wait a second, the science is saying all these things. The evidence is saying all these things. <clears throat> what is true? It's hard to know many times. But Paul here, I think, would tell us, okay, just what I'm saying, focus on what the truth is. And then your way will become plain. All right, well, here's a few ways of applying and uh, uh, trying to understand Paul's words in this first one. The second one, he says, is to avoid genealogies. The, uh, uh, the Jews especially would focus on family trees. Not so much to learn what our heritage is, not so much to learn from the past, not so much to see God's providence in the lives of families and even in the nation. But what they would do is they would <clears throat> trace the family line of descent to see if someone was worthy in the present day to do something. Now, on the one hand, that was necessary. You have to do that in order to be a priest, right? You have to know if this person is a descendant of Aaron, if the person is worthy to be a priest or a high priest. Uh, you had to do that in regard to the line of David. Hey, this is why we have Matthew 1. This is why we have Luke 3. We have to know the genealogical descent of Christ for him to fulfill those promises. But that's not what they were doing. Not what Paul is addressing here. They were saying, look, if you were part of such and such of a family line, then you can do this, and if you aren't, you can't. Now, let me start just broadly in, in our culture. If you are part of the Clinton family tree or the Biden family tree or the Obama family tree, you're immune from the law in our culture. Right? And then people will work overtime to try to hide any transgressions. And somehow, with all of our security in the White House, we don't know who left cocaine in there. Right? It's ridiculous, right? But, of course... If you're part of a different family line, like Trump's, for example, then everything that is done is bad. Again, this is not a political statement. I am not speaking about politics. I'm talking about how people are doing the very thing that Paul is condemning. Okay. Now let's focus more specifically in the church. The way this is applied in the church today is if so-and-so is part of a particular family, then they're going to be respected. Their ideas will be listened to. Their actions will be praised. But if they're from a different family in the church, then it doesn't really matter what that person says or does. The things that they say are explained away. The things that they do are ignored. It happens in congregational meetings, it happens in session meetings, it happens in just everyday events in the church. It's happened in our church. Do you see how it's happened in our church? 
Paul is saying, avoid these things. It really doesn't, doesn't matter at all who says something. Is it true? That's the question. And so Paul is saying, look, avoid people who are all concerned about, well, so-and-so is part of this family, so I'm not going to listen to them, or whatever it is. This is all too common in churches. And so Paul says, avoid it. All right, now thirdly, contentions. Your translation here may say quarrels or rivalries, maybe strivings or discords or something like that. We're talking about quarreling here. Now, again, there is debate. What exactly is Paul talking about? Most likely, again, um, there's debate here, but most likely he is addressing the apocryphal literature and things related uh, to that. And so they had uh, writings that were written, especially between uh, Malachi and Christ. One of them is called The Life of Adam and Eve. You have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Enoch. You have the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs. You have the Assumption of Moses, among others. And so they would, again, expand on the lives of these people and say, well, this also happened in their lives. It's not in the scriptures, but this also happened, and people would come to accept that as true. They would also then speculate and then have quarrels over issues of numerology and secret codes. And they especially would look for these codes in lists of names, genealogies, and just the name itself. Now, there's no question that many things happen in the life of Adam and Eve that are not in the scriptures. Many things happen with Enoch and the patriarchs and Moses that truly did happen, but did not end up in the Bible. There is no question that numbers have meaning in the Bible. The numbers 3, 4, 6, 7, even 8, 10, 12, 40, many numbers have significant meaning. Even the number of a name has meaning in Revelation, the number 666. But see, what has happened is that the Jews, especially here, were taking those biblical things and then running off with it. And they were trying to find secret codes in all kinds of names and passages of the scriptures. And so once again, you see the same basic theme that Paul is saying here. Let's focus on the truth. Let's focus on what the scripture says. Let's focus on, not on outside sources, but the sources here in the Bible that God wants everyone to know. Let's focus on the plain meaning of the text. Let's not blindly sift for some secret message. When we focus on non-biblical writings, when we focus on finding hidden truths, doesn't it lead to quarrels? Doesn't it lead to endless wranglings? The whole Da Vinci Code thing is this very thing. People were being killed over it because they're trying to uh, uh, save this secret about the Holy Grail, which is Jesus and Mary having a child and all this sort of thing, is what he talked about, right? Um, But it's no surprise that you have lots of quarrels when this kind of thing happens. 
But even in evangelical circles, you, you have the Bible code and secret codes that were kind of a big thing 25, 30 years ago, but you still hear people talking about it. So just focus on what's here. It, it's not that complicated. So Paul is saying to Titus and to us, you know, avoid those things. Okay, maybe you read the Da Vinci Code so you can understand what's going on. But don't focus on those things. It's useless. All right, well, the last one that he gives us here is strivings about the law. Now, first of all, notice the New King James says disputes, contentions, strivings. Well, should we understand those terms as synonymous, or should we understand those terms as changing, different in some way? Um, as you might expect, there's debate on this. Some see it as synonymous. Some people say an increase in severity. The disputes are first. Strivings now, right, you know, you're, you're starting to shout at each other. <laughs> and last, or excuse me, contentions. And now strivings here at the end, now you're actually fighting one another with fists and so forth, you know. You know, this last word could be translated as battles or fights. And so this is one of the reasons why some have suggested this. And it may be true. I don't think we can say definitively. But whichever it is, Paul is saying avoid it. Okay? Whether it's a more severe issue or not, avoid it. And here it has to do with strivings after the law or about the law. <clears throat> and so obviously we're talking especially about the law of Moses. And um, we see this especially in the Gospels where Jesus addresses this matter on a number of occasions where the religious leaders were splitting hairs over the law. And they, they were using the law to do away with the law. So let's turn to um, Matthew chapter 23 where we see an example of Jesus addressing this issue. <clears throat> but he does it on more than one occasion. And so here in Matthew chapter 23, um, <clears throat> notice here, first of all, the splitting of hairs. And uh, if you look at verse 23 here in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought not to have done without, excuse me, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So they were focusing very specifically on their tithing. And obviously, we're commanded to tithe on what God has given to us on our increase and so forth, right? Obviously, that's good and right. And they were wanting to make sure they did it in all these ways. But the problem was they were so focused on splitting that hair that they are missing the main things of justice, mercy, and faith. And so Jesus condemns them. They were strivings about the law here in this way. They also use the law to excuse sin. If, let's look now at verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it he is obliged to perform it. 
fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Hey, don't we do this on a regular basis? You know, we, we have the law, especially those of us who, who focus on legalistic kinds of things. Hey, we get so wrapped up in the law that we, we get, this is some of the things I've been talking about at General Assembly, we get so focused on the details of the letter of the law that we're missing the main point. The main point is, if you make a vow, you need to keep it. It's that simple. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. It doesn't matter if you swore by this or that or whatever. If you made a promise, you got to keep it. It's that simple. It's not hard. But the religious leaders were saying, well, if you said it in this way, you're bound by it. If you said it in that way, then you're not. He's like, you're missing the point. Obviously, they would use the law legalistically. They would add man-made laws. Earlier here in the chapter, he talks about adding these burdens to people and not helping them with them. I've called them 11th commandments at different times. Uh, they would ignore certain aspects of God's law in order to do what they want. Uh, remember, Jesus condemns them for not taking care of their parents because they called it Corbin and they gave it to God and didn't have to take care of their parents. And yeah, They're missing the point. It appears that these are the kinds of things that Paul is talking about when he says strivings about the law. Okay. And so let's be careful, especially those of us who like to make sure we're following the rules. We can very easily fall prey to these things. Now, for those of us who are more, um, if you will, big picture oriented, and we want to focus on the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. This also can lead us to justifying any kind of sin, too. So the challenge is for both, um, just in different ways. So as we apply this, let me again start here in our culture. We live in a society of laws, right? And we need to keep those. But what has happened is that we now have thousands and thousands of regulations that in essence do away with our rights and freedoms the law that has been given in the constitution and bill of rights so just think about driving here to church the law states that we have the right to assemble but the regulations say you cannot assemble unless you have a driver's license unless you have your vehicle registered unless you have the uh, stickers on the windows, unless you have insurance and even other things, right? But that's using the law to do away with the law. And the strivings are, well, we got to make sure we have all these other things all lined up. you got to keep it and so on and so forth. And Paul's like, you're missing the point. The point is that we have the right to assemble as we please. And so the ignoring of the principles of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights for the sake of regulations and even for case laws that guide us away from the original intent. <clears throat> I, I think this is a, a direct application of Paul's words. Now as we talk about in the church, 
Obviously, when we're dealing with the law, uh, we can go to churches that talk about the law or the gospel. Uh, We're not going to focus on the law. We're only going to focus on the gospel. Or you have others who say, well, no, we need to keep every jot and tittle of the law. And so you have your theonomic perspective and you have your dispensational perspective and so forth. Paul's saying, hey, let's focus on the truth. Obviously, there's a debate. Is the theonomic position right? Is the dispensational position right? But let's not get all wrapped up in these strivings. Unfortunately, today... In the modern church, we don't even hardly talk about those things anymore. Instead, we were told to repent of our whiteness or help illegal immigrants or something like that. Um, And we're missing the point. Look, the examples are really endless. And part of the challenge here and the reason for endless examples is we're not totally sure what Paul is addressing. But his main point is clear. He is telling us to avoid these kind of things. And then he tells us why. It's very straightforward. Those, uh, for they, I should say, are unprofitable and useless. Do you see the contrast with verse 8? In verse 8, he says, these things are good and profitable to men. We do good works and so on. But if we do these things, then it's the exact opposite. These evil things are unprofitable and useless. They're harmful. They're unhelpful. They are vain and empty Worthless, but uh, with consequence. Okay. Now, <clears throat> some of the same words here of uh, worthless and uh, useless, unprofitable, and so forth are used in other passages that speak of idolatry. And so when we get trapped in these kinds of debates, it's really a form of idolatry because we're replacing the truth for something else. Right? Romans 1. And so useless debates lead to strife, but good debates lead to benefit in the end. Those good debates may cause strife. Christ came to bring a sword. But if we're intent on finding the truth, it certainly does bring blessing. And so let's be discerning. And uh, here in this way, Paul is saying, let's be careful. Um, with the false teachers around us, and they are all around us, unfortunately. Well, here are a few words in this way, and so when I return, uh, we'll look at verses 10 and 11, this divisive man, and what Paul says here. So let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this challenge. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would give us discernment, that you would help us to know which things to debate, which things to wrangle over, and which things to avoid. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in that way. And we pray, Lord, that you would then help us to to heed these words you have given through Paul, uh, that we would not um, uh, run after things that are added to the truth or replace the truth, but that we would focus on your word, what you have given for us, and learn from it. May we set aside the questions we may have, the curiosities we may have, not because they are wrong, but just he didn't want us to know the answer to some of these things. And so, Lord, help us uh, in that way to be content with the sufficiency of your word. And uh, we pray that you would help us then to work that out in uh, our daily lives and especially here at the church. 
and uh, that you would be honored in all of it. We pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.